I'm told that these were actual responses that children gave when they were in Sunday school classes. Noah's wife was called Joan of Arc. (laughs) The epistles were the wives of the apostles. Now, epistles are the books in the Bible. Some, some of the letters says, okay. Moses got the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Some of them, we'll get there. King Solomon, he had 700 wives and 300 porcupines. The men who followed the Lord, they were called the 12 decibels. And I guess if you were the sons of thunder, you would be even higher than that. Um, And finally, there's Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day and a ball of fire by night. (laughs) Probably the best of all of them, yeah. And, you know, we might... We might expect kids to to mangle Bible stories every once in a while to to not get it 100% right. And it's kind of funny when they do, and we we kind of chuckle at it, things like that. But when adults mangle the Bible, that's usually not so funny. When adults distort Scripture, it's often because they don't agree with what they're reading. And so today, as we continue working our way through Jesus this final week, this series, The Final Week of Jesus... We are going to look at John chapter 12, verses 28 through 43, which Osborne just read for us. And the message is entitled, Not the Jesus They Wanted. Someone once said, people don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. They reject it because it contradicts them. People like that, they might know the Bible, but they just don't agree with it. And so they can end up not having their theological ducks in a row. They don't have their theology all lined up. And that's exactly what is happening in our story, in our narrative today. Jesus is telling the crowds, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And the people understood Jesus to be saying that he's not going to be with them very much longer. That somehow he is going to be lifted up from this earth. In fact, Jesus actually confirmed it in verse 35 when he says, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. The crowds, they they heard this from Jesus and they knew just enough scripture to say, hey, wait a minute. That doesn't sound right. In verse 34, they say, we have heard from the law that Moses will remain for, that, I'm sorry, we have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Well, the question is, were they right? Was the Christ supposed to remain forever? Well, if you read through the Old Testament, the answer is, yeah, they were right. The Old Testament spoke of the Messiah this way. In Psalm chapter 89, it says, I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. In Isaiah chapter 9 at verse 7, it's speaking of the Messiah here, and it says, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. 
upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 25, And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant forever. And my servant David, which is a code word for the Messiah, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. Forever. The Messiah would endure forever. He would be a prince forever. His kingdom would last forever. And that's exactly what Jesus had come to do. He and his kingdom, they were going to last forever. Just not quite the way that the Jews had planned. You see, they were looking for a king, one who would show up and they would come and would throw off the bonds of Rome, lead them to be a powerful nation that rivaled the days of Solomon. But in order to do that, Jesus had to somehow stick around. But you see, that wasn't the plan. The Messiah that God sent wasn't the Messiah they wanted. See, Jesus, he didn't fit into the box that they had built. He didn't fit into the mold that they had made for him. And that's a problem for a lot of people. The Jesus that people get isn't always the Jesus they want. And a lot of times it has to do with the statement, by Jesus, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. You see, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ didn't really upset a lot of people. It doesn't fit into their thinking. Now, for the Jews, for example, the idea that the Messiah would die, that was unthinkable. That was true back in the days of Jesus, but it's also still true even today because the Jews still don't think that the Messiah has come. But you realize that had been God's plan all the way from the very beginning. For example, one of the most powerful prophecies about Jesus, it is found in Isaiah chapter 53. Surely he, speaking of the Messiah, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. See, even the Jews, they recognized that this prophecy, it had all the marks of being about the Messiah. But it troubles them that it says that he would have to suffer and die for our sins. There was a man, who, his name was Mark Axelrod. And he told of going, and he, he picked up a Jewish study Bible at a bookstore. Probably the very first time he had ever even seen a Jewish study Bible. And the very first thing that went through his mind was, I wonder what it has to say about Isaiah 53. And so he thumbed through the pages, and he found the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, and the note at the very bottom, the footnote in the study Bible said, this is a very difficult passage. 
And to this day, the Jews struggle with the idea that Isaiah 53 describes a Messiah who would suffer and die for our sins. But you see, it's not just the Jews who struggle with this. It's even become popular in some religious circles to accuse God of being a cosmic abuser. Progressive Christianity, progressive Christians. There was a writer's name was Steve Chalky, and in his book, The Lost Message of Jesus, he was appalled that we would teach that God sent his son to die on a cross. He accused God of being a cosmic child abuser. In the crucifixion, being a vengeful father, punishing his son for an offense that he did not even commit. Now, we might expect that from atheists who may not know better to attack the Bible with this kind of thinking. But this guy is supposedly a Christian, a progressive Christian. But he's not the only one. Sometime back, there was a popular book that was out. It's actually been turned into a movie. It's called The Shack. Anyone hear that? The author of, of that book was named William P. Young. And people, they were praising him and, and stuff for this kind of new way to, to look at God. But he wrote, not in the book, but he wrote at another time, who originated the cross? If God did, then we worship a cosmic abuser who in divine wisdom creates a means for, to torture human beings in the most painful and abhorrent manner. How would we religious people interpret this sacrifice? We would declare that it was God who killed Jesus, slaughtering him as a necessary appeasement to his bloodthirsty need for justice. The point that he is trying to make, what he's trying to get across is that he accepts the crucifixion. You see, it's just part of the deal. But he seems to somehow want to keep God out of it. How dare we believe that God had somehow planned it this way? And yet that whole attitude denies the truth that is found in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, which tells us Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. How about Galatians chapter 3, verse 13? It tells us Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. You see, God had this all planned centuries before any of it even took place. Now granted, the, the cross probably was and, and still would be one of the most terrible ways to ever have to die. It was designed to inflict pain and torture and to be very slow. And yet that was exactly how God had planned it from the very beginning of the world. See, the Jesus that people get isn't always the Jesus they want. And so there are people who will mangle, they will distort, they will twist the Bible to get it to say, to get what they want. But you see, it gets worse. The idea that Jesus came to die for our sins, it really upsets people. There is a musician, songwriter, his name is Billy Joel. Maybe you have heard of him. He is an atheist. He is a self-proclaimed atheist. And he wrote, well, he was actually in an interview, and, and as he was interv being interviewed, this is a statement he made. I wasn't raised Catholic, but I used to go to Mass with my friends, 
And I viewed the whole business as a lot of very enthralling hocus-pocus. There's a guy nailed to a cross, and he's dripping blood, and everyone's blaming themselves for this man's torment. But I said to myself, forget it. I had nothing. Forget it. I had no hand in that evil. I have no original sin. There's no blood of any sacred martyr on my hands. I pass on all of this. But you see, inherent in Billy Joel's comment is the idea that I don't need God's help to pay for my sins. I'm not a bad person. Sure, I've done some bad stuff, but I've done an awful lot of good stuff in my life. But Billy Joel's problem was that he was looking at the crucifixion, the sacrifice of Christ, backwards. He said, everyone's blaming themselves for this man's torment. Now, there were a couple of problems with the view that Billy Joel had of the cross. First, he saw Jesus as a mere man. But you see, that's not true. Jesus was not just merely a man. He was also fully God, so he was 100% man, but also 100% God. In fact, John, who wrote this gospel that we're kind of working our way through on this series, he makes a reference to Jesus' godhood when he records that Jesus quotes a passage out of Isaiah chapter 6. John wrote this in John chapter 12, verse 41. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. You mean Isaiah saw Jesus' glory back then? And the answer is, yeah, he sure did. In Isaiah chapter 6, it says, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And if you look at that verse in there, you'll notice that the Lord of hosts, the word Lord is in all capital letters. And anytime you see the word Lord or God, and it's in all capital letters, that is the translator's way of letting us know, of telling us that this is God's personal name. You know, Jehovah, Yahweh. So what Isaiah was saying in those verses was, I saw God. And what the Apostle John is telling us here in our scripture today, in John chapter 12, is that when Isaiah saw God high and lifted up in the temple, that was Jesus. Jesus was God. On the cross, Jesus was not just a mere man. He wasn't some kind of helpless victim that we were able to nail up on a cross. Jesus was the mighty king. He was the Lord of hosts, the one who voluntarily stepped down from heaven to pay the price for our sins. So that was the first misunderstanding that Billy Joel had about the death of Jesus. The second was that he saw Jesus on the cross as a guilt trip for Christians. Everyone is blaming themselves for this man's torment. 
In other words, Jesus was tormented on the cross, and it's supposedly all my fault. Well, is that true? Well, in a fashion, I mean, our sins were the very reason that Jesus went to the cross. But you see, the cross is not about guilt, not about us blaming ourselves for his death. The cross, get this, the cross was about love. The love of God that removed our guilt. See, the guilt, it was already there. We were already guilty. We deserved punishment for our sins. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, we were by nature children of wrath. We deserve to go to hell like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. See, Billy Joel, his view of Christian guilt is that it never really goes away. It's kind of always there. And there are actually some churches that teach that exact same thing. They teach Christians to believe that they're worthless, that we don't amount to much. They teach that believers will never be completely forgiven by God. But you know what? That's not true. Jesus died for us because our guilt and our sin, it it deprived us of God's peace. It deprived us of being in God's presence. But you see, the cross, it was more about God's love than it was about our guilt. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ, he went to the cross and he died to free you from the slavery of guilt, to free you from sin. He died to remove your shame, your fear of punishment. He died so that you could have that relationship with your creator, with God the Father. And he died because he loved you. And he still loves you even today. The one who knows you the most still loves you. Don't mangle scripture. Don't distort it. Don't twist it. Simply realize how much God loves you and respond to his free offer of forgiveness. Forgiveness that is given through his son, Jesus Christ, because God loves you.